Thank you so much for joining us this week. We're glad that you're here. As always, be sure to give us a like on Facebook at Southern Hills United Methodist Church. And be sure to go to our website, www.shumcokc.org, to keep up to date with what's going on. Please enjoy today's message. I couldn't help but remember the first time I saw this video about when I did this exercise uh, when I was serving as a youth minister myself in Mobile, Alabama. I served at Ashland Place United Methodist Church for several years, and we had a a decent-sized, well-connected youth group there. It was so much fun, great place to serve. And my mentor, Paul Wolf, who's now retired as the senior pastor there, was a formative influence in my life. But we did this exercise uh, with our youth group one day, and I will never forget it. I will never forget it because it's a fun thing, right? Everybody gets a a butcher block or a a big piece of whiteboard, poster board, something like that, and they hold it and they're blindfolded so they can't see who's writing on the board, right? One of the things that's fun about it is it's really difficult to write on a board like that um, when somebody's holding it, right? But they they had no idea who had written these things, and then after everybody had a chance to, to, you know, write on, on somebody's board, they'd take the blinders off and turn the board around and get to see the things that people had written. And there were, there were a lot of laughs and a lot of smiles, but what I remember was the young man who immediately burst into tears. He turned, turned the, the, the poster board around and he started reading it. And we were asking people to read the comments out loud and he was reading them out loud and he started to get choked up, kept trying to read, started to cry. And the thing was, there, there was not a single negative or disparaging comment on the board, not on any of them. That was not the purpose of the exercise, but there weren't any there. I mean, they're all good. They were all positive. And he starts crying. He's about halfway through reading the board, and he just starts crying, right? And in the midst of that, as a, a youth director, you know, sometimes in any, uh, any job, any profession, you run into a circumstance you are not prepared for. I had no idea what to do. But the most popular young man in his high school was one of the leaders in our youth group. He put his guitar down, and he walked over, and he just wrapped Patrick up in the biggest hug I had ever seen him give. Afterwards, we were talking. You know, he, uh, they shared a moment. Everybody was quiet. He helped him to finish reading the board. And when it was all said and done, uh, this, this young man who's leader in our youth group, he was kind of helping me and a couple of the other uh, youth leaders to get the instruments put away after we were done for the evening. And I, I asked him for a little bit of background, and he said, oh, you just can't imagine how much Patrick used to be made fun of in elementary school, middle school in particular, the terrible notes he received. He said, I, I couldn't. I couldn't tell you for sure, but I can promise you Patrick has seen a lot of really bad things written about him to him, passed on notes, written on things that he owns. He said this might be the first time anybody from his school has ever written anything nice about him. One thing, do one thing. Our purpose here at Southern Hills is to share the love of Jesus Christ. You can do that even if you've never given any thought to how to start before. You can do that by just doing, making a commitment to do one thing each day to share the love of Christ with one person in a non-coercive, non-judgmental way. And you'll be surprised. 
by how what may seem to them like a random act of kindness. They may not know you. They may not even know that you're the person who did the one thing to share the love of Christ with them that day. You may share the love of Christ in a way that the, the benefit of that is not received till long after you're gone and they don't know who did it and you don't know who you did it for. But that one seemingly random act of kindness can open the door to the human heart in a way that we can never anticipate. Today I want to share with you a story of new life. Because I think it is amazing the ways in which the Holy Spirit gives us the opportunity to participate in what the Holy Spirit is doing to breathe new life into your life and to mine. I was taught many years ago that before we consider the spoken word, we should pray. Let's do that now. God, we're grateful for the opportunity that we have to worship you together today in spirit and in truth. God, we lift up those who are able to be with us in person, those who are uh, able to be with us virtually, wherever, whenever we are. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be here with us. Pray that you would open our hearts. That where the doors of our hearts have been closed, you would give us the courage and the confidence to be ready to open them again. That where we've begun to think that our life is over, we either missed our calling or we've already lived it through, God, or maybe we've struggled to figure out exactly what it is. I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit, as you open the doors to our hearts, you would help us to see that there is a huge and wonderful world with a great plan designed by you specifically for us. No matter how old we are, no matter how young we are, your Holy Spirit is ready to guide us forward. As a result of our time together today, help us to know you better. This we ask in your name. Amen. Have you ever seen the, like you'll drive in front of a house somewhere and you'll see somebody have their dog chained to a tree or to the front porch. Full disclosure, I have a serious problem with this. People have their dog chained to a tree or chained to their front porch, and you can tell the dog's been there for a long time, right? Because there are, there are pathways worn into the ground or something. Oftentimes, I can't, I can't tell you how many times I've, I've seen this scenario work itself out, and there will be a, a place where the dog has, you know, kind of dug its way under the front porch of the house so that it can, you know, get out of the elements or something like that. Harold was thinking about a young boy that he had seen in his childhood. Couldn't help but think about it. He was standing there looking at the open door to the storage shed of the sports facility where he served as the coach in Anderson, South Carolina. It was early in the morning. He was there to get ready for football practice later that day. He opened up the door to the storage shed, and immediately he was right back to his childhood. He had driven his bike on a paper route. I never had the chance to do that. My dad got to do a paper route. I didn't do a paper route. One day, as he was driving past this house on his bike, throwing newspapers to the, the homes on his subscription list, he drove past this house, and it was kind of a, an old house, a little bit of a dilapidated house, but he looked through the brush that had grown up by the fence, and he thought he saw a young boy back in next to the house. And so he's looking through there, and as he looks closer, he sees, sure enough, not only is there a boy, 
he is tied to a post on the front on the, the front porch with a chain going from the porch to him. Harold Jones would later say that it reminded him of, of a dog. Worn paths in the ground, place where the young boy had obviously found a way to get under the porch to get out of the elements. On a speaking engagement once, he would say, I, I didn't realize at first that that young man, that young boy had a, a mental disability. He was mentally handicapped. I came to know that, he said, over time, because I, I drove past that house every morning delivering newspapers, never to that house. But every day I drove past that house, and every day I saw that boy, and I eventually realized that he had a mental handicap. He was mentally disabled. I said, I don't know in what capacity that was the case, but he said, I came to figure it out. And he said, to this day, when he was speaking, he said, to this day, one of the greatest um, disappointments that I have in my own life, one of my, my greatest sense of regret comes from the fact that not one time did I ever seem to find the courage to talk to him, much less try to figure out a way to help him. Those kinds of things are formative. They change us over time. They stick with us. I, I shared this, sir, this uh, story this morning in the first service here, and immediately after the service was over, uh, a gentleman comes up to me, and he's got tears in his eyes, and he said, the story you told today reminded me of a similar circumstance in my own life, when I, and he couldn't even finish the sentence. Those things stick with you. You can't help but remember them especially in certain moments, because when you go through a moment like that, it changes you. you you'll make a resolve. Harold, Harold was resolved that there would never come a time in his life when he would allow something like that to happen again, which is why when he opened the doors to the storage shed, and he saw James Robert Kennedy with his hands and feet bound together, laying on the floor of the storage shed, crying. The shattered pieces of his heart broke further. And he knew that this time, this time there was no chance that he was going to let this circumstance pass by without doing something about it. James Robert Kennedy was born in 1947. Anderson, South Carolina. His father didn't live very long. His mother would work as a nurse to support him and his brother Walter. And as a result of uh, having to work long hours to support them, they were both left home alone for long periods of time. Now, James Robert Kennedy had two things working against him in the Anderson, South Carolina of the late 1940s, 1950s, and 1960s. Racial tensions in the United States in the 1960s were reaching a crescendo. Much of that crescendo, much of the hotbed of racial, racial tension focused on events that were happening in the southeastern United States during that time. And James Robert Kennedy was an African-American man. Not only was he African-American in the southeastern United States of the middle of the last century, but he had a mental disability. 
It would prevent him from taking care of himself, so he was going to live with his mother for the rest of her life. His brother would go on to have a, a decently paying job, be able to take care of his family, and moved away from Anderson, South Carolina. But James stayed there with his mother. Unable to finish school because of his mental handicap, he didn't, and so he became a regular fixture in Anderson, South Carolina. In spite of the racial tensions in the U.S. at that time, in spite of the fact that people with disabilities then, and even unfortunately to some degree now, are still ostracized and marginalized, people primarily left him alone. So he would walk around Anderson with a shopping cart just looking for discarded items, trash, things like that, that maybe caught his eye. So he was kind of a regular fixture, pushing his shopping cart around, just happy. He was the kind of person who never met a person he didn't know, and he never met a person he didn't like. One day, as he was passing by the practice field at T.L. Hannah High School, where Harold Jones was the head football coach. Somebody kicked or threw a football, and it went way further than it was supposed to go and ended up bouncing over the fence and right to where James Kennedy was standing. And so he picks up the football, just like he picked up all kinds of other discarded items. He picked up the football, looked at it, brushed it off, put it in his shopping cart, and started to walk away, so excited that he had just been given a football. Harold Jones saw this and knew exactly what was happening. Harold Jones was a man of few words, gruff voice, kind heart, didn't speak often unless he was yelling at his football team. Now, I played football, and I've wondered at times past about uh, conducting some kind of a national poll. I wonder if there is a single football coach in all of the United States of America at any level who was not a person of few words with a gruff voice. He saw this happen. It was just a football, and he saw how happy it made his uh, James Robert Kennedy, and so he, he was just going to let him have it. But the other members of the football team, they saw it too. One of our sub-ethics right now, one of the things we're talking about as we work our way through this year, is the teaching of Christ that there is a difference between the broken ethic of a wounded world, which we're born into, and the healing ethic of the kingdom of heaven. part and parcel to living in the particular broken ethic of a wounded world in, in that time had worked itself out in the lives of some of the football players who did not have good feelings about African American people nor about people with handicaps. And so when they saw this, they got angry. And later that day, members of the football team would seek out James Robert Kennedy, bind his hands, bind his feet, and throw him in the storage shed down in the sports facility of T.L. Hannah High School. The next morning, Harold Jones was getting ready for the day, went over to open the storage facility to get the pads and all the other things, cones and stuff that they were going to use for practice out. He opened it up, heard some whimpering, looked down, and there was James Kennedy laying on the ground, hands and feet bound, whimpering. James couldn't read, he couldn't write. He, he struggled to make himself understood speaking. And when he got anxious 
or had anxiety or was afraid, he'd speak very, very quickly in almost an unintelligible way. And so when Harold saw him there, he was on the ground, he's whimpering, crying, trying to say something. Harold had no idea what he was trying to say. But in that moment, in the split second that it took him to recognize what was going on, his brain connected that instance to his childhood. And his already shattered heart broke into many more pieces as he decided that there was no way that he was going to continue riding his bike past this circumstance, this person, without doing something about it. One of the things that James had picked up in his uh, journeys around Anderson was this old transistor radio. And so, in trying to figure out what to call him, as much as, of course, of course, Harold Freedom. And I don't know about you, but when I hear about things like that, I sometimes get this self-righteous desire to reach out in punishment. Thank God, literally. Harold was a wise enough person to be able to chastise his football team while continuing to coach them into what it meant to be better people than they were choosing to be. James just kept talking about this radio, and so he sort of got the nickname radio, which is why you've, you've probably heard of the story, because in 2003, Cuba Gooding Jr. starred as radio in a film by the same name, which was a result of an article written some years before that by Sports Illustrated about the relationship between Harold Jones and James Robert Kennedy, who was known as radio. He became a regular fixture because Harold was not going to let him be forgotten. He was not going to let him be marginalized. He was not going to let him be abused. He was not going to let him be hurt. So he brought him into his life. Looking at the life of radio, he saw that there was a disparity. There was a difference between where radio was and where radio could be. And as he saw that, he saw that it was going to be difficult for radio to bridge that chasm himself. So Harold built a bridge. In looking at that, he also realized that there was a, a, a distance, there was a chasm between who radio was and who the people of his community were, who radio was and who the people of his football team were, who radio was and who he was afraid he had become. So he built a bridge. He started bringing radio around letting him come to football games, radio would be well known. So, uh, spoiler alert, he would spend decades at T.L. Hannah High School helping to coach the football team. He would lead them out onto the field before the games and everybody would rally around him. He would give them the pep talk before the game, which was the same pep talk in every game. You guys are going to play great today because he was always encouraging. And go get that quarterback. He would say that, oh, go, let's go get that court. I don't know why. He just really wanted to see some sacks, probably because T.L. TL Hannah High School had such a low rate of sacking the quarterback. They were never any good at it, but they were always encouraged to do it every single game by radio. 
full disclosure, he was there a long time. He started, though, because Harold uh, brought him out to, to be around because he just loved football. So Harold brought him out to, to hang out while they were practicing. And radio would start mimic, mimicking the, the actions of the coaches and some of the things they would say. He would run up and down the sidelines with them, doing the same things they did with their hands and arms as he was also helping to coach the team. At one point, Harold thought, you know, I wonder if we could help him to finish his education. So he went to go talk to the principal. Sympathetic, wanted to be a part of helping things to be better, not only for radio, but for the town, for the school. And so she helped uh, radio to come and enroll in the school. Uh, Harold gave him uh, personal tutoring sessions so that he could learn some of the things that he didn't know and so that he could progress at his own pace. But then, after a while of doing this, radio started to get anxious. And Herod was struggling to figure out why, because every time radio got anxious, his behavior would change a little bit, and he would be more difficult to understand. So in talking with them, because of the relationship they had built, Harold began to understand that radio was afraid that he was going to finish high school and have to leave and never come back. And this was the first time that anybody in any community had begun to accept him. Right around the same time, Harold got a call in the middle of the night because radio was enraged. Going over to radio's home, Harold discovered that radio's mother had died of a massive and sudden heart attack. Radio had found her. And no one no one had any idea what they were going to do with radio. He couldn't take care of himself. In time, his brother Walter would move back to Anderson and help to take care of him. And he would be able to continue to live there, continue to have his relationship with the school. But all of this was happening around the same time that radio was starting to be afraid that he would end up graduating from high school and never be able to come back. So the principal, get this, declared him an eternal junior. He was never allowed to go on to his senior year in high school so that he would never complete it and never graduate. And that made radio so happy because he was never going to have to leave T.L. Hannah High School. Harold Jones retired in 1999. Radio didn't. But Harold and radio would travel around speaking about the power of kindness in reconciling communities, the power of kindness in transforming the human heart. Because of what had happened in Anderson, South Carolina, a small group of people in a time when racial tensions were on the rise, in a time when people treated people with disabilities as if they should be marginalized or ignored, or at best, no one just know, knew what to do with someone who had some kind of a disability. There is still too much of that. One young man just decided to be kind to everybody he talked to. It's just who he was. Even when they weren't kind to him, he was kind to them. And one coach saw that. 
and built a bridge from where he was to where everybody else was so that the other people could be transformed by the kindness that was working its way through the life of radio and seeping into the lives of other people and it would change. By the time that radio, James Robert Kennedy, passed away in 2019, and Sports Illustrated went back to interview the community of Anderson and the people of T.L. Hanna High School again. There were people that in T.L. Hanna and in Anderson who had never known a life without radio. Born long after radio had been born. They said a lot of things, a lot of wonderful things. Nothing will be the same here without him. But one person said this. He changed so many hearts and lives that his funeral will be bigger than any senator's funeral we've ever had here in Anderson or in South Carolina. Sure enough, radio's body would lie in state at the T.L. Hannah High School. And people came in droves to pay their respect to a young man. A young man who at one point in his life had been marginalized, ignored, tied up and thrown into a storage closet, but whose kindness and love had transformed an entire community. It is amazing how the Holy Spirit will allow us, will call us to participate in what the Spirit is doing to breathe new life into your life and mine. When the Spirit does that, when the Spirit breathes new life into your life and mine, that new life, that breath of life, is transformative. It heals. That's one of the differences Christ talks about, that we are accustomed to the broken ethic of a wounded world. It's what we're born into, and it feels normal, even though we know that there's got to be something better. Jesus says there is. It's the healing ethic of the kingdom. And because of what Christ did on the cross, because of the crucifixion, because of the resurrection, we don't have to live according to the broken ethic of a wounded world. We can live even while in the world according to the healthy and healing ethic of the kingdom. When we do that, the healing ethic of the kingdom, the love of God in Jesus Christ that is transforming us flows through us to heal not only us, but the world around us. It's amazing. The way that the Holy Spirit calls us to be a part of what the Spirit is doing to breathe new life into your life and into mine. So I'm just going to ask you to remember three simple things. Three simple ways in which you can make new life a part of your life. And the first of them is to love with an agenda. Have you ever seen those uh, memes circling around that say something like, if you want to make a big difference in somebody's life, learn to love without an agenda. I think that's great advice. But what I think is even better advice is to love with an agenda. The love of Christ is proactive, sacrificial, and unconditional. It's not coercive, and it is not judgmental. It's Christ, in fact, who says, don't, don't judge. You're not qualified. Actually, what Christ says is, don't judge 
lest you be judged. Because the measure you use is the measure that will be used against you. Don't do it. Why? Because Christ is the only one who's qualified to do that. Christ's love is not judgmental. The love that Christ shares with you is not coercive and it is not judgmental. Instead, what it is, is proactive. It loves Christ loves first. Christ doesn't wait. If you're going to love, don't love without an agenda. Love with an agenda. Love first. Don't wait. For other people to do something that you reciprocate. Be the one who moves first. Love first. Ephesians 4.32 says, because you were loved first. We forgive because we're forgiven. Incidentally, that same verse says, one of the best things we can do is to be kind. Be kind and forgive other people because you have been first forgiven. We love first because we were loved first. We don't love because somebody else loved us first. We love because Christ loved us first. And Christ's love is transformative. It is proactive, sacrificial, and unconditional. Fills us from the inside out. Heals us from the inside out so that that love can be shared with other people. Your love, my love alone is insufficient. And we'll run out of that. But loving people with the love of Christ is like sharing water from an open and pouring spout that never gets turned off. Love first. Don't wait for somebody else to do something that you can then respond to. Love is not reciprocated or reciprocal in its origination. When somebody else loves you or acts out of love, it is perfectly fine, holy, good, and true to respond in love. But in its origination, love is not reciprocal. Love doesn't pay back, it pays forward. We love because Christ loved us. And we love with Christ's love first. Love with an agenda. Love first. Love is proactive. It is sacrificial. We give of ourselves in the love that we give. When we love other people, we give of ourselves in order to do that. Harold saw the, the predicament that James Kennedy was in. He knew that James was not going to be able to get himself from where he was to where he could be. And he knew that in order to build that bridge, remember that, in order to build that bridge, he was, Harold was going to have to give of himself. He was going to have to sacrifice his time. He was going to have to sacrifice time with his family. He was going to have to sacrifice to some degree his own mental health. Because the people in his community when he began to help radio were not supportive. He was going to have to sacrifice social standing in which the parents of the first football team were very upset that radio was anywhere near the team at all. He was a distraction. Love is sacrificial. Love with an agenda. Pour all of yourself into the love that you're giving because you're not going to run out of the love you're being given. It's a part of a broken ethic of a wounded world that says, if you love too much, if you give too much, you're going to run out. We call that sociologically a mindset of scarcity. A mindset of scarcity is common to the broken ethic of a wounded world. A mindset of abundance is what is common to the kingdom. I can keep giving because what I have, did you hear this in the prayer this morning, does not originate with me. It originates with God. What you've been given doesn't originate with you. It originates with God. There is plenty more of it. You're not going to run out of love. The more you give, the more others will receive the same transformative love and the bigger difference it would make. Harold knew he was going to have to sacrifice himself of himself in order to build that bridge. Love is proactive. Love goes first. Love is sacrificial. Gives of itself, listen to this, without expecting anything in return. 
And because of that, it's also unconditional. I don't love because of you, because of your status, because of anything you've done or could do for me. I don't love you because you're right. And I don't love you because you're wrong. That's not a love. The love that loves that way is not love, and it is not a love that comes from Christ. Christ's love is unconditional. Christ's love doesn't love you because you checked a series of boxes. That love comes first. And it is the love of Christ that helps us to be transformed and healed so that we can become what Christ knows we can be and has always known that we always could have been. You are not yet what you are becoming. It is okay to still be becoming what you're becoming. You're going to become what you're becoming, but it's all right to be in a place where you're not yet what you're becoming because the love of Christ is drawing you into what you will be. And that love transforms even as you're becoming that love of Christ can transform the world around you. Sacrificial, proactive, unconditional. The love of Christ says you don't even have to be nice in order to be loved. Love with an agenda. Help other people to discover who they are and begin by letting the Holy Spirit help you to discover who you are. If you want new life to become a part of your life, said differently, if you want to participate in the way that the Holy Spirit invites you to participate in what the Spirit is doing to breathe new life into your life, that's probably the correct theological way to say it. If you want to do that, help other people to discover who they are. And start by letting the Holy Spirit help you to discover who you are. Because you are not supposed to be like the person sitting next to you. You intentionally are designed, lovingly, fearfully made from before you were ever born to be different from the person who's next to you. One of my favorite movies from, I should have looked this up because I, I preached about this, you know, in the first service. Thought about looking it up between services, totally forgot. But do you remember the Robin Hood with Kevin Costner and Morgan Freeman? That's like early 90s or maybe even late 80s, I don't know. But it's still one of my favorite movies one of my favorite renditions of the Robin Hood story. Uh, Morgan Freeman and Kevin Costner have this great friendship in that movie, right? Well, there's a part of the movie where Morgan Freeman encounters this young girl in Sherwood Forest who's clearly never seen an African person before. And so she looks at him and says, did God paint you? And he kind of chuckles back in the way that self-confident and caring love Fully actualized love loves innocence. And he just looks at her and says, for certain. And then, inquisitive as she is, she looks back at him and says, why? And he looks back at her and smiles and said, because God loves wondrous variety. You are a tapestry of experiences, some of which are worn and ragged, some of which have yet to be made a part of your life. You were intentionally made to be different from the people that are next to you, and listen to this, they were intentionally made to be different from you. Let the Holy Spirit help you to discover who you are, and listen to this, because the Holy Spirit has already given you permission to be who you are. So accept the permission the Holy Spirit gives you to be who you are. Help, let the Holy Spirit help you to discover who you are. Until you do, you will always try to remake the people around you into your own image. 
Until you let the Holy Spirit help you to discover who you are, to become confident in the diverse nature of who you are. You're going to be diverse in the sense that you're not going to be like everybody around you, and you're going to be diverse in the sense that the experiences, uh, the, the talents and the gifts that make up who you are, are diverse in and of themselves. You're not like anybody else, and that is by design. There is nothing in the Scriptures anywhere that says we're all supposed to be exactly the same. In fact, there is much to the opposite. Paul, for instance, gives a great teaching about how different we are and how intentionally different we are. He uses the parts of the body. He says these are parts of the body, and they all tend to think that the rest of the body is somehow less than because the rest of the body isn't the same as they are. But we don't need a body full of hands or knees or elbows. We need all of them. You are intentionally, fearfully, and wonderfully made. Let the Holy Spirit help you to discover who you are and to rest in the confidence that you were made as who you are by the Holy Spirit. Oh, but pastor, some of the things that, uh, about myself, there are things about myself that I don't like that I don't want to remain. Yes, that's why you're still becoming what you will be. Let the Holy Spirit do that in you. And be confident that you are and comfortably uncomfortable in your growth. Because when you do, not only will the world around you come into focus, but you'll be able to let the people around you be who they are too. There is no way to express how life-giving it is when the people that love you let you be you without expecting you to be who they are. Build some bridges be the kind of person who builds bridges. I shared that a minute ago. There was a time when Harold realized that there was a chasm between who radio was and where radio was and who the people of his community were and where they were and even who he was and where he was. And he knew in looking at that circumstance, at that situation on the day when radio was bound and put into the, the storage facility on the sports facility, that when he looked at that situation, he knew that radio wasn't going to be able to build that bridge himself. Build bridges that connect people, that help people to be able to get off of the islands upon which they are isolated. Let people build bridges in your life because while you will be the right person to build some of the bridges in the circumstances you encounter, there are also going to be other people who are the right people to build bridges in your life that help you to get off of the island that you are sitting on and can't get off of the item that you're secluded on and have no ability to get off. Let people build bridges between where you are and where you could be. And when the bridge is built, walk on it. Pick up your mat and walk. Pastor, I can't do it. No, you can't. You know what that guy couldn't do? Heal himself. That's what he was saying. He wasn't saying, I'm lazy. He wasn't saying, oh, I'm just too lazy to actually do anything and I'm just laying here for 38 years. What he was saying to Jesus was, I can't heal myself. And Jesus said, I know, I just did. I just built the bridge you couldn't build. Pick up your mat and walk across it. Let people build bridges in your life. The Holy Spirit is calling them to do that. When you don't, when you don't let them build bridges in your life, 
you're denying them the opportunity to live into what the Spirit is calling them to be, and you're denying yourself the opportunity to pick up your mat and walk across the bridge so you're no longer secluded on the island that you're stuck on. Sometimes that island starts to feel really comfortable. And we'll even convince ourselves that the scarcity that has become normal is somehow something we can deal with. Pick up your mat. Walk across the bridge. And when the Holy Spirit calls you to do it, be the person who builds bridges in the lives of other people, between people and where they could be, or between places, people and places they could be. Build bridges, because those bridges, when they are built, connect people to life. They connect people to transformation. They connect people to the transformative love of God that is proactive, sacrificial, and unconditional and heals even as it transforms. Build a bridge. Somebody that you know has knelt down beside their bed and asked God for you to love them without any condition. Somebody that you know thinks that their life is over. They're too old. God doesn't have a plan for them. They're too old. They're too broken. They're too disabled. They're too the wrong fill in the blank. Race, gender, background, social status. That God doesn't have a plan for them, and even if God did have a plan, it wouldn't be able to be worked out in their life. Even, even when the Holy Spirit is saying, oh, no, 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 I've had a plan for you from before you were born, and it's a plan that changes. I didn't have one, I have many, the Holy Spirit is saying to you right now. In summary, said differently, God's not finished with you yet. And there's somebody in your life who wants to hear that too. Let the Holy Spirit help you to discover who you are. Live into that and help others to do the same and build bridges. There is somebody who is so isolated, somebody you know, who is so isolated on an island. Maybe, we tend to do this, right? Here's where the, the broken ethic of a wounded world begins to manipulate us. We think that you must have put your, you, you know what? You built, this is what we'll say, you built that island yourself. You're the one. Nobody wanted you to build. You built that island yourself, so you deserve broken ethic of a wounded world. You deserve to be on it. That is not how the kingdom works. The kingdom sees that somebody's isolated on an island and it's possible to bring healing. God knows that because, listen to this, there is not a situation in which it is impossible for the Holy Spirit to bring healing. God sees isolation and God does not care what the source of that was other than to help you to not do the same thing again so that you can become what God is calling you to be instead of continuing to be where you are. There's somebody in your life who's terribly isolated, alone on an island, and while they may be shouting, their island, with every passing day, gets further and further away from healing. Build a bridge. If the Holy Spirit has gifted you to build a bridge, has put a passion on your heart to build a bridge, that may be part of discovering who you are. It's all right for you to be passionate about the ones the Holy Spirit has put on your heart to be passionate about even if nobody else is. 
that's still all right. Be passionate, build a bridge, and then help people to pick up their mat and walk. Pastor, I can't make people, I can build the bridge, but I can't make people, that is an excuse to not build it in the first place. Build the bridge and watch as the people who are isolated start to change even while the bridge is being built. And when it's built, invite them. Issue an open invitation for them to walk across the bridge. Don't say, I did all the work. This is a broken ethic of a wounded world. I did all the work to build this bridge and you don't even want to walk across it, so I'm going to close it. No. Build the bridge. Issue an open invitation. And when they're ready to pick up their mat and walk, walk with them to wherever the bridge is leading. It's amazing. It's amazing that the Holy Spirit calls us to participate in bringing and breathing new life into the world around us. Oh, for sure, it's what the Holy Spirit is doing. But you and I get to be a part of it. So where will you be this week? when you have the opportunity to breathe new life, to be a part of what the Spirit is doing, to breathe new life into the world around you. Pastor, I don't know how to do that. I do. Wake up tomorrow morning. Go to the place where you pray. And ask the Holy Spirit to make you aware of that one point in the day when the Spirit is going to nudge you to just do one thing, to share the love of Christ with one person you'll be surprised by how much that changes your day. Would you pray with me? God, we are grateful for the ways in which you never give up on us. You never lose hope. You never leave us behind. And you never leave us solely to our own devices. So for those today, God, wherever and whenever they are, who feel as if they've been left behind, who feel as if they are alone on an island and they're so tired of shouting and it wouldn't matter even if they continued to because they're too far from help. I pray, God, that you would give them assurance today. Assurance that help is on the way. Assurance that they are not too far away, that they are not too far gone, and that they are not too far beyond help. I pray, God, that you would prepare them even now as you're preparing others to build a bridge that will lead to where they are. I pray that you would prepare those who feel isolated to be ready to pick up their mat and walk across that bridge when it's built. I pray, God, that you would help us, equip us, and encourage us to love without an agenda other than to be proactive, sacrificial, and unconditional. So that in the midst of being loved by you and sharing your love with the world around us, we might better discover who we are and who we're becoming. In your holy name we pray. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you'll join us again next week.